Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week's episode of the Periodical Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, along with the incredible, the amazing Tavis Killian. Hi there. And today, we're going to conclude our three-part series on President Joe Biden's energy policy and his clean energy revolution. In this final segment, we will be discussing how Joe Biden has placed climate change at the center of U.S. national security and foreign policy by utilizing a whole-of-government approach and what his energy policy means for the global energy industry. As you all know, our discussion today is going to cover the content in this week's periodical that I released this past Wednesday, February 10th. But enough this, let's get into it. President Joe Biden's first two weeks in office have been filled with a flurry of executive orders that aim to put the United States back on course to cut carbon emissions and resume a place of global leadership on climate action. They present a stark contrast to the first hundred days of President Donald Trump's term when he immediately set to work unraveling the Obama administration's environmental policies. Trump's first actions began with the appointment of Scott Pruitt to lead the Environmental Protection Agency, even though Pruitt was a known climate change skeptic. After Biden took executive action to tackle the climate crisis at home and abroad, create jobs, and restore scientific integrity across the federal government, he finished the structure of his clean energy policy by surrounding himself with like-minded, climate-forward individuals to lead the country towards carbon neutrality. Clearly, the 46th president of the United States is using his presidential powers to make climate change a central issue of his administration and is taking immediate action to prove his commitment to the environment. As promised during his campaign, the future of energy in the U.S. is set to send this country down a new path of transition and lasting change that will have reaching implications both domestically and abroad. But it is yet to be seen how much of the world will take notice and follow the rapid strides of the United States to achieve global cooperation towards successfully combating the climate crisis. So in his first 48 hours in office, President Biden cranked out about 30 executive actions, 14 of which targeted a broad range of President Trump's executive mandates focusing on themes such as climate change, clean energy, and decarbonization. His first executive order on climate change was a call to action which pledged that the United States would rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement. This was Biden's first step as commander-in-chief and first action for his clean energy revolution. Although it will take 30 days for the U.S. to fully rejoin the agreement, it is the perfect springboard for fulfilling campaign promises. Furthermore, meeting its targets is going to be a tall order. Biden doubled down on his second executive order titled Protecting Public Health and the Environment and Restoring Science to Tackle the Climate Crisis, which is a massive laundry list of plans to gain momentum for his clean energy revolution. The order itself is split up into eight sections detailing how to tackle the climate crisis by utilizing environmental justice. These sections include mandates on more stringent methane emission regulations for the oil and gas industry, installing a temporary moratorium on all drilling permits and lease sales in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, creating accounting measures for the social cost of greenhouse gases, and revoking the presidential permit for the Keystone XL pipeline border crossing. These two executive orders not only set his clean energy revolution into motion, but are the cornerstone of his clean energy plan to work with Congress to put the United States on an irreversible path for achieving economy-wide net zero emissions no later than 2050. While this focal point will not be a single executive order to be put into place immediately, it will instead be a series of executive orders that are part of the $2 trillion clean energy plan. He will demand Congress enact legislation during the first year of his presidency that establishes an enforcement mechanism to achieve the 2050 goal that includes milestone targets no later than the end of his term in 2025, makes a historic investment in clean energy and climate research and innovation, and incentivizes the rapid deployment of clean energy innovations across the economy, especially in communities most impacted by climate change. 
While Biden insists failure on these fronts is not an option, interestingly enough, he also told ABC News while campaigning last October that only a dictator would use executive orders excessively since we're a democracy. Ironically, he has signed more than three dozen executive orders in his first week in office, more than any of his predecessors. And that was a lot to just recap on real quick. So if you want to hear more on Biden's first two executive orders as president, be sure to check out our parts one and two of Biden's energy policy on rarepetro.com. After a busy week of the aforementioned executive orders, many of which targeted climate change, President Biden released a tell-all executive order on tackling the climate crisis at home and abroad. As the name states, Biden will use this executive action to tackle the climate crisis at home and abroad, quote, while creating good-paying union jobs and equitable clean energy future, building modern and sustainable infrastructure, restoring scientific integrity and evidence-based policymaking across the federal government, and reestablishing the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology, end quote. This order follows through on the President's promise to take aggressive action towards climate change and builds on the executive actions issued during his first week in office, namely rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement and an immediate review of harmful rollbacks of standards that protect the air, water, and communities. While wordy and bulky, this executive order is essentially an outline of his clean energy policy and nearly mimics his presidential campaign's energy policy. The problem remains that the plan outlines the what, but not necessarily the how, for achieving his climate goals. The chasm between Biden's agenda and Trump's legacy is one of the widest in recent decades, and nowhere is that contrast more pronounced than on climate change and the environment. President Biden is not just focusing on climate change at the national level, but also at an international level by putting the climate crisis at the center of the United States foreign policy and national security. According to Biden himself, quote, Just like we need a unified national response to COVID, we desperately need a unified national response to the climate crisis because there is a climate crisis, end quote. To do so, Biden plans to work with other countries and partners, both bilaterally and multilaterally, to put the world on a sustainable climate pathway. In addition, he hopes the U.S. will move quickly to build resilience around the globe against the impacts of climate change that are already apparent and expected to intensify from current trajectories. His global leadership approach plans to implement and further build upon the Paris Agreement's three overarching objectives, a safe and global temperature, increased climate resilience, and financial flows aligned with a pathway towards low greenhouse gas emissions and climate-resilient development. To accomplish this, he is pledging to exercise leadership in promoting a significant increase in global climate ambition to meet the climate challenge. Furthering those strides, Biden plans to host an early leaders climate summit aimed at raising climate ambition and making a positive contribution to the 26th United Nations Climate Change Conference of the Parties and Beyond. In addition, the United States will reconvene the Major Economies Forum on Energy and Climate, beginning with the Leaders Climate Summit to pursue green recovery efforts, initiatives to advance the clean energy transition, sectoral decarbonization, and alignment of the financial flows with the objectives of the Paris Agreement, including with respect to coal financing, nature-based solutions, and solutions to other climate-related challenges. The order kicks off the process of pushing climate ambition upon the world by developing the United States' nationally determined contribution, or really just our emission reduction target, under the Paris Agreement, as well as a climate finance plan led by the Secretary of State and Secretary of the Treasury, along with the newly created Special Presidential Envoy for Climate. President Biden has set ambitious goals to ensure America and the world can meet what he deems the urgent demands of the climate crisis. 
Additionally, the plans prioritize empowering American workers and businesses to lead a clean energy revolution that achieves a carbon-free power sector by 2035, puts the United States on an irreversible path to net zero emissions economy-wide by 2050. These are some pretty lofty expectations. Ambitious, and I like that, but it's, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of work to be done in the next 30 years. Well, I like that he's convening all these climate summits. I mean, I, I understand that it's his focus to put the United States on this path towards economy-wide net zero by 2050. But I think it's so, so important that he also includes the rest of the world on this. Because as we're going to touch on later, it's not just going to be a United States struggle. It has to be this united front if we're going to combat this climate crisis in order to ensure a better tomorrow. Part two of President Biden's executive order on tackling the climate crisis at home and abroad or his presidential clean energy plan, is to take a whole-of-government approach to tackle the climate crisis. According to the White House, implementing a whole-of-government approach formally establishes the first-ever National Climate Advisor and Deputy National Climate Advisor to lead the White House Office of Domestic Climate Policy that creates a central office in the White House charged with coordinating and implementing the president's domestic climate agenda. In addition, the order establishes the National Climate Task Force, which assembles leaders from across 21 federal agencies and departments, to enable a shared vision for combating the climate crisis. While still not quite actionable items, the framework and support mechanisms for how President Biden is planning to execute his clean energy revolution is beginning to unfold. By planning to create, organize, and deploy the full capacity of government agencies to combat the climate crisis, he is implementing a government-wide approach. It is his intention to use this approach to reduce climate pollution in every sector of the economy, increase resilience to the impacts of climate change, protect public health, conserve our lands, waters, and biodiversity, deliver environmental justice, and spur well-paying union jobs and economic growth, especially through innovation, commercialization, and deployment of clean energy technologies and infrastructure. With a developed framework, Biden plans to build on his executive orders to create policy that will help develop his roadmap towards economy-wide net zero by 2050. To do so, the White House is positioning the next big policy push for creating jobs through infrastructure with the goal of making the economy green. By creating government agencies focused on his climate agenda and filling other agencies with climate-focused leaders, Biden is tapping into the entirety of the federal government's arsenal to combat climate change and make his plan a reality. Some of the many initiatives currently on the table include ordering the federal government to purchase electricity that is pollution-free, purchase zero-emission vehicles for a federal EV fleet, eliminating fossil fuel subsidies, and directing the U.S. Department of the Interior to halt new oil and gas leases on public lands or offshore waters to allow for the deployment of renewables in these areas with the goal of doubling offshore wind by 2030. While initially the order was implemented by the head of the United States Department of the Interior on Inauguration Day, the president took the 60-day moratorium suspending new oil and gas leasing and drilling permits on all federal lands a step further in this order. As previously mentioned in part two of Biden's orders, the whole government approach of this order included actions to indefinitely suspend all new oil and natural gas leases on public lands or in offshore waters pending completion of a comprehensive environmental review. President Biden expertly utilized his newly coined Climate Day to install government power ensuring his climate agenda is at the forefront of the United States foreign policy and national security. This included new White House offices focusing on climate policy both domestic and abroad and creating a civilian climate corps initiative designed to mobilize the next generation of conservation and resilience workers and maximize the creation of accessible training opportunities and good jobs. 
Biden's clean energy revolution is well underway, and although he began an apparent war with the fossil fuel industry, he intends to extend his hand to the communities they operate in for economic revitalization to try and prevent further environmental damage and communities impacted by coal mining, oil drilling, and fracking. Clearly, Biden comes to power with a sense of urgency about climate change that is unmatched to any previous occupant of the White House, and he is installing people sharing similar views throughout the government. The question becomes, as the United States begins to lead the rest of the world in a fight against climate change, how will the global energy industry begin to transform? So let's begin by talking about the energy industry here domestically. So scientists warn that the coming decade will be critical for slowing heat-trapping greenhouse gas emissions in order to keep the average annual global temperature from rising more than 1.5 degrees Celsius compared to the mid-19th century. According to the UN Emissions Gap Report, the world is on track to increase nearly 3 degrees Celsius, a level that ensures more destructive wildfires and hurricanes, devastation of coral reefs, and rising seas which will flood the coastlines. Many believe the answer to saving the planet lies in incremental but urgent climate change across all emission sectors. That is why Biden has set the goal of making the U.S. carbon neutral by 2050, which will require steeper emission cuts than the U.S. has ever achieved. To reach that, coal power must wane to a footnote and be replaced by renewable sources like solar and wind, and most cars will need to be battery-powered since transportation and electricity together make up about half the country's greenhouse gas emissions. Luckily, renewable energy is increasingly cheaper and abundance of natural gas is driving the retirement of coal power plants. The cherry on top is countless companies in a growing number of countries have already committed to net zero emissions in the next few decades. As the energy transition continues, clean green renewable energy is slowly taking positive public perception and market share from the hydrocarbons currently used to run society. Pausing new extraction of oil and gas from federal lands is the Biden administration's tremulous first step going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the U.S. oil and gas industry. Federal drilling is a key segment of domestic output providing around 22% of U.S. oil production and 12% of gas, according to the American Petroleum Institute. The problem is, the United States currently relies on fossil fuels for many facets of society. While renewable energy consumption surpassed coal for the first time in history in 2019, it still only accounts for about 11% of total U.S. energy consumption and about 17% of electricity generation, while hydrocarbons account for 80% of total energy consumption and 63% of electricity generation. Moving towards a long-term ban on federal leases will fulfill a campaign pledge and reassure environmentalists, but it also raises concerns over the U.S. becoming reliant on foreign imports to sustain domestic energy needs. In addition to critics predicting a reliance on foreign energy, others claim his initiatives will further cut jobs as the U.S. fossil fuel industry is already suffering from record unemployment numbers following the COVID pandemic and oil market collapse. The White House is trying to get ahead of more criticism by addressing job creation. When I think of climate change, I think of jobs, Biden said, arguing that millions of Americans will be able to get jobs modernizing our water systems, transportation, energy infrastructure to withstand the impacts of extreme climate. Renewables are increasingly becoming the most affordable option for electric utilities, and Biden is seeking to speed that trend up by investing in clean energy projects through economic recovery spending as a way of supporting both job creation and climate goals. His plans direct federal agencies to identify new opportunities to spur innovation, commercialization, and deployment of clean energy technologies and infrastructure, and calls for the creation of the Civilian Climate Corps Initiative to put a new generation of Americans to work conserving and restoring public lands and waters. 
But the key to powering society with clean energy without overwhelming the power grid like they did in California, or eating up more energy than ever before, lies in energy efficiency. While the topic seems trivial compared to other flashier components of the global energy transition and the battle against climate change, energy efficiency is a monumentally important piece of the puzzle. Using energy more efficiently accounts for the largest share, nearly 40%, of the reductions in heat-trapping emissions needed to meet the goals of the Paris Climate Agreement. Therefore, to make the energy transition as smooth and eco-friendly as possible, it's imperative that we not only continue to improve our grid capabilities and capacities, but that the expansion of renewable energy keeps pace with the increasing energy demand. In other words, in order to maximize efficiency in efforts towards combating the climate crisis, the focus must be on a gradual transition so energy demand can be met while expanding clean energy infrastructure. That means more jobs in clean energy while continuing to support workers in the fossil fuel industry during a transitionary period. Biden's administration sent the strongest market signal yet that the U.S. will undergo the difficult task of revitalizing its weakened economy with climate change in mind. This reality will reshape how communities across the U.S. think about energy, how global companies do business, and how developing countries plan for future growth. While renewable resources are greatly reducing many forms of waste associated with the fossil fuel industry, Clean energy infrastructure contains its own fair share of harmful materials requiring special and costly disposal methods. Regardless, banks and financial service firms have touted the opportunity presented by green investing under Biden's leadership, and investors and companies have followed their lead. Biden says the U.S. has come back to the table at a key moment, when countries are making new commitments to cut emissions under the Paris Accord. But for now, he has to convince them he can deliver at home before becoming a global leader in the fight against climate Armageddon. So I do want to bring this back to something that we just mentioned. I mean, it's imperative. It's key that during this energy transition, it's not an immediate shift. It can't be because as we saw in California, as we recently even saw in China, the green energy infrastructure is not there yet, not saying it ever will be, but it's not there yet to fully sustain, you know, phasing out fossil fuels tomorrow. It, it purely is not. So during this transitionary period, we need to start building up the capability and capacity of our green energy infrastructure while maintaining fossil fuels so that there's not this, you know, lack of supply as demand is ever increasing. I like the way you say maintaining because, of course, all of these forms of energy have their pros and their cons. So we got to contribute to, I mean, a, a diverse portfolio, not just one resource that can't meet all of our needs, climate, emission, energy density wise across the board. The dichotomy between having to prove to the world that the United States is committed to addressing climate change and leading the charge against the looming climate crisis is quite ironic as the U.S. has been the leader against climate change for decades. In terms of raw carbon emissions reductions, the U.S. outpaces every other country in the rest of the world, and many countries in the Paris Climate Agreement have not even seen their emissions decrease at all. Regardless, if society is to tackle the climate crisis to prevent catastrophic and irreversible environmental damage, the United States cannot act alone. Special Presidential Envoy for Climate and one of the president's two climate czars, John Kerry, noted that it would make little difference in the global climate change fight if the U.S. reduces its emissions to zero. Kerry noted, President Biden knows the Paris Climate Accord alone is not enough, not when almost 90% of all the planet's global emissions come from outside of U.S. borders. We could go to zero tomorrow, and the problem still isn't solved. Climate change is a global issue, and under Trump, the United States removed itself from the united international effort to reduce emissions from the Paris Agreement to focus on efforts domestically. 
But what Biden has set out to do is become the gold standard of climate policy and lead by example. With the first step handled domestically, the second step will be to incentivize investment in developing areas of the world. Massive investment in renewable energy in developing economies, which are set to produce most of the global emissions in the coming years, will be necessary to achieve global climate goals, according to Fatih Bayral, the executive director of the International Energy Agency. Our energy and climate future increasingly hinge on the decisions made in emerging markets and developing economies as these areas currently account for around two-thirds of global carbon emissions, with one-third occurring in China and another third arising from other markets, and would represent the largest source of future emissions growth if insufficient action is taken to transform their energy systems. Frighteningly, almost all future emissions growth will come from developing economies over the next 30 years. The world is switching over to renewable sources at a breakneck pace that's only going to continue to speed up as more countries adopt climate-friendly policies and the renewable sector continues to see technological improvements making their energy more attractive and affordable to the public. But one thing must not be forgotten. Countries dependent on oil revenues for much of their budgets will become increasingly vulnerable to problems caused by the global energy transition. The world will still need oil this year, next year, and for years to come. Over time, it will need less and less, and increased government regulation will likely continue cementing the global course towards a more renewable future with the United States in the lead. In a Bloomberg interview, Byral noted that without sufficient government commitment, oil demand will continue rising as it did before the pandemic. He pointed to China as a case in point. China's demand for oil is already higher than it was before the pandemic because the government in Beijing has made no substantial changes to its energy priorities. This is why a battle against climate change must be a united front. The world is going to continue to need more hydrocarbons until the clean energy infrastructure can handle the transition to clean energy sustainably and reliably. Until then, to achieve current global climate goals, the world must come together and hold each other accountable. While it may appear to be a seemingly straightforward idea, execution of the task is easier said than done. And I think you've completely encapsulated the hardest part of this entire thing. I mean, America lives at a luxurious level of energy consumption, and as the rest of the world continues to develop and more and more people gain more and more money, they'll want to consume more cheap, affordable energy too, so it's going to be hard to balance that use of oil and gas that they're going to go towards and try to energy leapfrog them into a stage of renewable technologies. And that's why the world, or really the United States, needs to take that leadership role for the world, because we're seeing that massive increase in investments in these clean energy infrastructures. So if we can take that and put it towards the rest of the world, where as these developing economies need more and more energy, if we can not necessarily force them, but (laughs) encourage them to invest more in, you know, renewables, clean, green energy, it's going to make that transition so, so, so much easier. The energy that powers our daily lives and economies also produces three quarters of global emissions, meaning the climate challenge is essentially an energy challenge. The United States is now pivoted and the commander-in-chief is determined to tackle that challenge to ultimately lead the global clean energy transition. President Biden came into office with the most ambitious climate change plans of any presidential administration to date. He not only promised to reverse the Trump administration's climate policies, including regulatory rollbacks and a withdrawal from the Paris Agreement, but is committed to push the United States farther on climate change action than it has ever gone before. He named climate change action as a top priority right alongside the coronavirus pandemic, the economy, and racial justice. Put perfectly by the American Clean Power Association CEO Heather Zeichel, who served as one of Obama's top climate advisors and will assist White House National Climate Advisor Gina McCarthy, quote, 
If we're going to remove 51 billion tons of greenhouse gas emissions annually and get to zero emissions in 30 years, this is going to require drastic action, end quote, adding that our members are prepared to invest $1 trillion in the coming years on clean energy projects. We see nothing but opportunity. However, the cornerstone of Biden's clean energy revolution, achieving economy-wide net zero, is not black and white. The next four years will be an iterative process involving many different facets of society and domestic policy. Once the United States have proven to the world that it is capable of taking the reins in the battle against climate change, Biden will attempt to expand those processes to the rest of the world. But before making dramatic changes to the global energy landscape, the first step is to understand and explain the origin of energy, as well as the benefits and perils of all energy sources, not just fossil fuels. Only then can the reality of the current energy system be rationally evaluated for improvements and the limits of the energy transition identified. It is certain that many parts of the world have begun the process of phasing out fossil fuels, but it ultimately must be a collective, gradual change. An immediate shift away from the energy that supports a functioning society is foolish and will be detrimental to progress towards environmental justice. Rhode Island Senator Sheldon White has preached a similar call for action every week the Senate has been in session since April 2012. In his Time to Wake Up climate speech, he calls all individuals to action. On Joe Biden's new January 27th climate day, Senator Whitehouse delivered his 279th and final speech, declaring an end to a nine-year mission. Instead of urging that it's time to wake up, he said, I closed this long run by saying now it's time to get to work. It's time to roll up our sleeves, work together on a united front, and attack the climate crisis head on. But that is the end of this episode and also the end of the three-part Biden series. So thanks for joining us on this little uh, excursion through new administration policies. But if you missed those first two parts, you can find them on rarepetro.com. You can read them because they are typed up in periodical format by Kevin with some supporting figures, lots of good stuff, and lots of references for you to learn. But while you're there, check all the other resources we have. We're trying to move through this and grow, so we're ready when the industry returns. And with the prices and way things are going, it could be sooner than later. So again, thank you for joining us. And until we see you next time, take care, everybody. We'll see you guys next week. 